This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm back again with one of my friends. Uh, if you've li- been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard a couple of shows. I have Dr. Marcella Ridgway with me today. Uh, Marcella's taught for us at HITS, and she's been to, I think, every single HITS, except for maybe one of them, uh, back uh, before we had to cancel this last year. But she's been a longtime supporter of HITS. She did several podcasts that I got very good feedback on, and she's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to, to dogs. Uh, she works some dogs on her own which I'll let her kind of talk about uh, what kind of type of working dog she does. And then she's also, um, if I, I'm sorry if I say it wrong, Marcel, but I believe you're a, a doctor who teaches young doctors, I believe. So without further ado, I'll introduce uh, Dr. Marcella Ridgeway. And doctor, uh, if you could just kind of give our listeners, you know, your background and kind of talk about what you do here in the working dog field and as well as what you do there at the college, I think it would be a great way to get the program going. Okay. I, I guess... Chronologically, I started in, I've always had dogs, but I started in veterinary medicine before I started actually working dogs. I'm a board certified specialist in small animal internal medicine, which means dogs and cats. Uh, And I'm also at the University of Illinois functioning as a veterinarian, as well as also teaching veterinarians. So that's, I, I find it a nice opportunity to help veterinarians to be come to understand working dogs because I think that's one thing that I see we really need to continue to work on. As far as uh, my involvement with working dogs, um, I started with dogs that were competing in obedience and then started working with dogs in search and rescue, specifically trailing. And that is kind of the path that led me more into looking at working dog medicine more closely and also certainly an interest in the topics presented at HITS, both from the standpoint of how that interfaces with veterinary medicine, but also with my working with dogs and how that relates to what I do. Because a lot of this boils down to we're we're relying on the dog's nose for the most part. And of course, in law enforcement, going beyond that too with some other responsibilities, but mostly looking at at scent detection in some form. And what types of dogs have you worked? I know you've had a few different ones. So I, my first couple of dogs um, were retrievers, and I currently work border collies. So I'm, I'm a border collie person. I kind of identify with them uh, with that constant excitement to be doing yeah. things. And uh, I just, I, I love their worth, work ethic. I grew up with German shepherds and so herding dogs for sure. But at this point working uh, border collies and actually I get some feedback from people who are surprised that I'm working border collies for trailing uh, because that's, I think a lot of times sure. people think bloodhounds and shepherds, et cetera, sure. but uh, these these guys do an excellent job with trailing. That would be fun to see because I've never actually seen that. Uh, I like Border Collies a lot, but I have not seen one that did trailing. So I think that would be fun just to, to kind of see that and pick your brain on it. Is the, the training progression different on that type of dog than 
like training a German Shepherd for trailing, or is it still just natural instinct? It's similar, although I think um, I make a distinction between tracking and trailing. So one of the things with what I'm doing, often the very fresh trails are very difficult for us as a trailing team that once things settle down a little bit more that and and the trail gets to be quite old that seems to be something that is actually often easier for us okay. to do so you know i think there's a lot of uh discussion about how old a trail a dog can work etc and i think we end up talking about apples and oranges a little bit with tracking Absolutely. versus trailing so i think it it really depends on what the what the dog is working are they are they tracking or are they trailing and i think i i have a lot of um people that i train with that have shepherds that trail and then some that have shepherds that are doing more tracking sure sure yeah i know exactly what you're saying i think uh i think those words get intertwined when they're not they're not the same thing quite often so well, the reason that I brought uh, Dr. Ridgway on the show with me today is is currently um, the last couple of months for one of our neighboring agencies, I had the opportunity to train two brand new bomb dogs. It was the first time this agency's ever had a bomb dog, so they got two and a big exciting time for them to get their dogs. Uh, they sent one of their trainers down to uh, a kennel. They picked out two German shorthair pointers, brought them back. I tested them. Both the dogs were very nice dogs. I was real excited about training these dogs. Uh, I gave the handlers their homework. If if you've been listening to my show and you ever heard the, the marker training, I sent them home, told them how to charge the mark. They bonded with the dogs for about a week and a half, got the mark good and charged. Then they brought them in and we started doing just the beginning exercises for hunting of a single odor in a very small room. And uh, the male dog was doing good, figuring it out. The first day, the female dog looked fantastic. The second day, the female dog looked um, a little bit lethargic, and I thought, well, they brought him up from uh, sea level into Colorado here where we're a mile high. So I said, she's adjusting to the heat, to the altitude. It's not uncommon to see her being a little lethargic today because uh, you know we'd worked her hard the first day. By the third day, in the middle, she showed good drive. In the middle of the training session, she walked over and she laid down, and um, there's, I've not seen a dog when they've got good drive that are just going to naturally want to lay down instead of chasing a ball or something. So I said, you know, the dog's got to go to the vet. I was worried about, uh, not too worried about heat exhaustion. We were in a uh, air-conditioned building, but I was definitely worried about something going on. So the handler called back and about an hour later and uh, told me that the dog was actually heartworm positive and obviously started to show signs from the heartworm. So they rushed the second dog to the to a different vet just by coincidence because of the geographically where they live. Um, that dog also, even though he showed no signs, was also heartworm positive. I w- didn't realize at that time how little I knew about heartworm because one of my first thoughts was, wow, I've had my dog in the same room where where they were and they've put saliva around and my dog you know, probably got near their saliva and I was worried about my dog picking up the heartworm from them even though he's on heartworm medication. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the symptoms are of heartworm, how they get it, how it's tested for, and then how easily is it to, you know, did, did I have a reason to worry at that point? We're going to let the doctor kind of explain whether or not I did. So 
with that, doctor, if you could maybe just start with, you know, what are heartworms and how do dogs contract them? And, uh, you know, what is the prognosis when you get a dog now that is heartworm positive? Your experience really highlights a lot of what can happen with heartworm where dogs can be seemingly normal and yet have significant disease. And I think it overall is a topic that where there is quite a bit of misunderstanding. And I think some of that is it's a fairly complicated picture that we have. It's an unusual type of parasite. And the fact that the signs can be so subtle also sometimes can give us a sense of false security that we don't have a problem in our particular area because we're not seeing dogs ill when in fact we might have that issue. So um, heartworm, it, it is a worm. It's a parasite that actually as adult worms lives inside the blood vessels in the lung of dogs, coyotes, other susceptible uh, animals. Uh, dogs are probably our main consideration. They're, they're the ones that we are working hard to protect sure. them from actually getting the disease. Cats also get it. Um, the infection is spread from infected dogs, but not fortunately, not directly from one dog to another. So it absolutely has to go through a mosquito. What happens is the adult worms living in one dog give birth essentially to live young worms called microfilaria, and those circulate around in the bloodstream of the infected dog. And when a mosquito comes along and takes a blood meal, in addition to taking in the blood, it's going to take in some of these microfilaria, the young heartworms. And then as that mosquito moves to another individual, if that happens to be a dog or cat or ferret or another susceptible species, when the mosquito bites that individual animal, the microfilaria, the young heartworms, end up entering the skin of the next animal. And that can set up the infection where those young forms then migrate through skin and muscle tissues, um, maturing as they go along, and eventually getting back into the vessels in the lungs where they mature to the adult form and then complete that life cycle. So we don't have infection spread from dog to dog unless you have the mosquito that can act as the intermediate. The other thing is it takes a period of time within the mosquito. So once that mosquito takes in the microfilaria, the young form from the infected dog, it takes usually around a couple of weeks for that form to actually mature to a form that will infect another animal. So you kind of have a little bit of a buffer where there are a number of things that have to happen before that can be spread to another individual animal. So let me ask you here uh, real quick. Say I have a a dog kennel or I board my dog with a bunch of dogs or whatever, and it's near near water and there happens to be a lot of mosquitoes around. If there's one dog in that kennel that has heartworm, is it pretty much that all of them will eventually get exposed to it or... It sounds like the stars kind of have to line up against a dog before they actually get it. Like it's not as 
it's not super contagious if it has to be the right mosquito, the right time of the mosquito. And um, so it's it, it's not automatic that if you were, say, if, if my dog was boarded with a dog with heartworm and there was mosquitoes around, it's not automatic he's going to have heartworm, right? Well, I think that while it's unlikely that that's going to happen in a short period of time, I think that's always an opportunity because it really just takes one bite from an infected mosquito at in a in a dog that's susceptible to transmit the infection. So while okay. you know, it, I think we and you mentioned in an area with water and mosquitoes, that's part of the reason we see some regional differences in the incidence of heartworm infection in dogs is that areas that have the right environment for mosquito populations and the and the type of mosquitoes that transmit the infection those are areas that are going to where we're more likely to see infection in dogs areas that are drier um areas where mosquito populations are low not as common but we still see infections infections have been reported in every state in the US even okay. some of the drier states and colder states now we do see that the states that are hot humid and have a fairly long um warm period during the year we see more cases in those areas but especially with dogs in particular traveling more and more widely whether that's just with traveling with their family or in the case of working dogs traveling for different deployments or training or competitions uh we also that's one of the reasons there's been some concern raised about rescue transports of dogs from areas of high incidence of heartworm to other areas is now they're carrying heartworms into an area that maybe there there has not been a high uh rate of infection so, so I these, think that, a lot of these areas that we're talking about are the South. It's Texas, Florida, all the states kind of in between. That's kind of the mostly the hot spots for them. I also do uh, am involved in rescuing shelter dogs, and a kind of my sense is that if I have a dog that's coming up from Texas or Louisiana or Mississippi, I'm going to assume that if they're not on preventative, they're going to be they're going to have infection. Okay. Uh, that it, it's you know it's really that common. So it's not only the environment, it's also how many dogs are there there that are unprotected. So if we go back to your kennel example, if you have one dog in that kennel that is infected, but all the other dogs are on preventatives, then our chance of getting enough of a transfer would be reduced versus if you have the whole kennel and nobody's on preventative, well, over a period of time, those dogs are going to build and build and build the level of infection uh, so that the likelihood of that kennel being a source of infection to other dogs is going to be higher. Okay. And my, my worry that first day of the, the dog's saliva and all the, you know, any contact with, you know, incidental or third, third person contact through these other dogs, I didn't need to be worried about that, correct? No, so the form that is actually circulating in the bloodstream of the dog that's infected, that the heartworm then picks up and can then transfer to another dog, that form has to mature. So it's the form in the dog that infects the mosquito is called the microfilaria. And 
if you take microfilaria, they're not able to infect other dogs. They have to be in the mosquito and develop to what's called an L3 stage larva. So they have to mature before they can actually cause the infection. So it, even even if even blood to blood, that would not be something that we would expect to be effective. Okay. So, and it's not something that's going to be shed in other other fluids from the dog. Okay. And if it was, it wouldn't be the infective form. So that that's also a fortunate opportunity okay. to not spread infection. So in the way that you're describing it, then it makes perfect sense that these dogs, they had come from Europe. I believe they were uh, came from Hungary through Holland. And from what I understood and looking at the, the vet records, for whatever, everybody who's dealt with, you know, dogs buying them this way, you know, whatever that's worth. But the dogs did show that they had been uh, what they called a quick test for heartworm, like in Hungary and in Holland and in uh, the state that they bought them from. And that was negative all three times for both dogs. But it, it seems pretty clear now that the dog could have the, the larvae in them and still show negative in the test. And they'll, they're dormant for a while. How long is that period where the dog you know, could actually be infected? And we don't know yet. So the the heartworm life cycle is a particularly long one, and the tests that we do the the tests that we run typically to screen for heartworm are testing for evidence of a female female heartworm, a mature female heartworm. So if we have a negative test, it may mean that there is no infection. It may mean that there are no female heartworms present, but other male heartworms could be present and the test would still be negative. The other thing is it takes about seven months for that to become positive. So it could be that we have a dog that is harboring that infection and we just, the heartworms have not matured to the point where that test is going to be positive. There are also some circumstances in dogs that are infected and their immune system is reacting against these antigens um, from the female heartworms. And so you have the immune system producing an antibody and it binds the component of the heartworm that we're testing for in the bloodstream. And if those stay bound together, it may not react with the test. Okay. So there okay. are a couple, there are a number of different ways you could end up with a negative test in a dog that actually has heartworm. So I think it, you know re- again going back to these couple of dogs because heartworm infection is worldwide it may be that they had an early infection that started way back when and just wasn't that we didn't have mature female worms that would give us a positive test, or they could have picked up the infection somewhere along the line in their, in their transport since then. Sure. And um, suppose the dog has been infected. He's he's six months old, but he's been at at some time in that period, you've started him on the heartworm preventative. And we're going to talk about the different options there, but you're giving him some, some medicine is that going to help at all? Or once they're infected, then uh, they're eventually they're going to show signs of actually having heartworms. 
So that's a great question. The preventatives that we give are quite effective in the early stages, right after the mosquito transmits the heartworm larvae to to a new host. So when the heartworm is actually first entering a new dog, the preventatives are quite effective against those early stages. But after a, a month and a half or so, as the heartworm is developing, they get to a stage where they're going to be less affected by those. But we are now finding that those medications have some effectiveness against other stages, including the adult heartworms, where they don't have a potent effect necessarily. They're not going to give us a good kill of the adult worms, but they're going to make the adult heartworms unhealthy. So okay. there, there is some benefit there. Key in that scenario that you just described is that when we have a dog that comes in and we're starting heartworm preventative, maybe at several months of age, they're too young to test for heartworm, but we know there's that window where they could be harboring an infection that isn't mature enough to give us a positive test, but is older than the stage we're going to get with the preventative maybe we're going to end up with an infection. So what we recommend in those dogs is then testing down the road, even though they've been on preventative, to come back in, you know, certainly by the time they're seven months of age or maybe um, a period of time after you've started that preventative and test them again, not waiting the full year that we often do when we're on a regular preventative program to retest for heartworms, but uh, testing them kind of along the way to see where we're picking that up, usually about six months afterward. Okay. So with testing is obviously one way to find out. The dog that I described starts showing some some signs. So are there some common signs that, that to look out for that, that you're going to see in a dog that is suffering from? Because it seems like they could be in the dog's body and they're not actually having any effects from it at some point in time. So um, it's a two-part question, basically. Can some dogs just be heartworm positive and live uh, basically a normal life? And the second part of the question is, what should you look out for? So dogs can harbor the infection without showing signs, but I would not consider them to be normal because even if they don't get ill enough that they're actually showing changes, there will still be damage to the vessels in which the heartworms are living. So you always have to treat them, even if they're not showing? Even without clinical signs. So I, I have the luxury of being in an area where heartworms are not as common. We don't have as heavy a challenge here as perhaps in Mississippi or Florida, et cetera. So... It's fairly uncommon for us at this point to see dogs that have severe disease associated with heartworm, even if they're positive. In other areas where there is a lot of heartworm disease, often the the level infection is high, and those are the dogs that are more likely to advance pretty quickly to be showing clinical signs. They've been potentially infected over and over and over again, so they might have really high worm burdens. 
even sure. with the low level of infection, a dog potentially could live its whole life and never really show you clinical signs, but those changes are still happening. So I would see that as a dog that probably could have more exercise uh, capacity, more endurance if it did not have that infection, even if it never gets overtly ill from the disease, the infection is still going to take its toll on the lining of blood vessels, potentially the heart, potentially the kidneys. So then looking at, well, what signs do we see? We may have those dogs that really don't show us very much. They just may never really reach their full potential. But the signs tend to be related to lung issues that might be coughing, uh, might be exercise intolerance, the, the dog that tires very readily, what you saw in, in a high-drive dog that's self-outed, something that you don't expect. But yeah. that can be a very subtle sign in a dog that is not being asked to do extreme exercise or a high level of activity. It may not be noticed even though the dog is having problems. As time goes on, as there is advancing injury to those blood vessels, we can also have problems where the heart is now working against a set of blood vessels that are partially clogged up and the heart has to work that much harder. So that's where we start to see progression potentially to heart failure as a result of the infection. In some dogs, we can also see changes in kidney function, whether that is, and it may be related to blood flow and supply of, of blood to the kidneys from a failing heart, but also there can be sensitivity in the kidneys from a level of inflammation and, and the fact that there's this constant infection in the body, the immune system is trying to respond to that and that can have some secondary impacts on the kidneys. So we can start to see kidney changes as well. And some of the things we might see there would be a dog that isn't feeling good overall, isn't wanting to eat, may be drinking an excessive amount of water, which we might also see with in some of the patients with heart disease. Once they're starting to show those signs and they start going down that road, I mean, so say for some reason, maybe, you know, I don't catch it in time. Is there a point of no return where it's like, we can't help this dog anymore? Or um, is the treatment still the same, whether it's a dog showing no signs or a dog that's showing a, a ton of signs? Is the, is the treatment progression going to be the same? That's a bad way of asking. Obviously, most things, it's always better to catch early. So is that, there's probably no exception to this. Do you want to? keep your eye out and try and start treating it as early as possible? Well, I think, again, an excellent question. So, yes, because the the infection tends to be in an environment where the dogs keep getting re-exposed and re-exposed and those worm burdens can get quite high, the sooner we find out about the infection and can treat it and prevent it uh, from getting worse, uh, the better. There are different approaches to treatment. So in the dogs that are not really showing a lot of clinical signs, we still do additional investigation or recommend doing additional testing 
things like chest x-rays, et cetera, to get an idea of how severely affected is this dog. Because some dogs will have coughing and not really a lot of changes as far as looking at heart function, et cetera. Other dogs will have very dramatic changes in heart function and how we approach their treatment can vary. So in dogs that get treated, when we see the worms dying off, their signs can get worse, especially if their exercise is not strictly restricted. Dogs that have a higher worm burden, we worry are going to have more trouble when those worms start dying off and then they float out into the vessels in the lungs and we can see major problems from formation of clots and blockage of those arteries following treatment for the adult heartworms. Interesting. So so it gets worse as you're trying to cure it. We see that in a number of diseases, but as, you know, we certainly want the worms to die. But as the worms die, they can actually create more inflammation and blockage in the blood vessels. So there is also a very important aspect of restricting activity in those dogs, generally for at least six to eight weeks after they're treated, while they're being treated, and then six to eight weeks afterwards, because we want to give time. If we have a dog that is very active, potentially that additional blood flow is going to do a more efficient job of pushing those heartworms out into the smaller vessels and giving us more of a problem. When when we're talking about the exercise restriction, can you kind of explain that? Because I can, you know, most of us that have worked Malinois and stuff, and you have a high drive working dog, and then the vet explains this. I I mean, it sounds like a nightmare to me, but if you can kind of explain what what you would recommend for, for that dog when he's being treated. Well, and again, you know, border collies aren't necessarily lethargic either. So, uh, you know, and these often are infections that we see in in younger sporting breed dogs, et cetera, because they tend to be the dogs that are out and getting exposed. I think the exercise restriction for us is probably the hard, and potentially for the dog, the hardest part. But it is really critical for a good outcome because the more activity the dog has, the more chances that we're going to see the complications from treatment. And I think uh, at this point in time, we have some really good medications like trazodone that are basically used to just quiet the, the dog down and allow them to get through that period of restricted activity. Because as you say, for these high drive working dogs, that is miserable for them and for us, if we're, yeah, if we're yeah. living with them. Yeah, we're basically talking about crating this dog now for probably about four months, five months maybe, mostly living in the crate. Yep, so during the period of their treatment and then for a couple of months afterwards. So, yes, it's a protracted period of being quiet, and it's difficult, but it's really, really important. So they're going to be in the crate, and then when you take them out of the crate, uh, it's going to be on a short leash, out for a walk to go to the bathroom to eat, and right. Then, uh, right back into the crate. Now, and I, I think there are things other than just sedating the dog that can help, and that's, you know, using things like food puzzles and things that where, you know, they get a chance to use their brain but not really sure. move around. Sure. But it is a very challenging part of treatment. In the dogs that are 
severely affected where we do our testing with, we find out they're positive, they might be showing clinical signs, we get some chest x-rays on them, or maybe an echocardiogram, and we see that they have significant changes in their blood vessels in the lungs and changes in their heart. There are some dogs that are already progressing into heart failure where we really worry about treatment because, as we said before, if there's a likelihood they're going to get a little bit worse or maybe a lot worse with treatment before they get better, in some dogs we, we have to make that decision of is treatment the best thing. So the, yeah. when we're when when I'm saying treatment, I'm referring to something beyond just using the preventatives. So sure. the preventatives yeah. help them keep from getting reinfected, and they may have some impact on the adult worms. But when I talk about treating, I'm usually talking about using a specific treatment that is an arsenic type medication that is given by injection specifically to kill the adult worms. This is a drug that may have some effect on other stages of the worm, but it's mainly geared against the adult worms, and that's where we know it has good effectiveness. And is that, is, is that I understand, is that a, like a two-shot deal where you give them one shot and then a, a month later you give another shot of the that treatment? Is that kind of how that works? Or Yeah, so the, the medication is... Uh, malarsamine, and it is given either in a series of two injections or a series of three injections. And what is recommended now as the optimal approach is to give one injection after a preliminary treatment with the, what we generally will do is start out with a couple months of treatment on the preventative medication. So what we typically use in our dogs to keep them from getting infected. Sure. We'll start them on those medications. We will also start them on an antibiotic called doxycycline because there's a little bacterial agent that co-inhabits or lives alongside the heartworm. And that little bacterium seems to be very important in maintaining the health of the heartworm And also, if we start killing off the heartworms, that bacterial organism makes the side effects worse, the injury worse in the dog. So we give the antibiotic to take care of the bacteria associated with the heartworm. We get them on preventative, and that's usually going to be a month on the antibiotic and the preventative, a month on the preventative. And then we come in with our first injection of the adult heartworm medication, and that's given by injection. Then we come back um, in another month and give an injection one day and a second injection on the next day. So that gives us a three-injection treatment, which with the two injections, we see an effectiveness of about 90%. With the three injections, we can get that up to 98%. And I think the other advantage of that three-injection approach is we give one injection and then wait a month. And in those dogs where we're not going with the two injections one day apart, maybe we're helping to reduce some of the adult worms without kind of giving them the whole blast of killing off lots of worms. Maybe we're not going to have as many side effects. So it seems to be very well tolerated when we do that. 
The other side of that is if we have a dog that has lots of problems with that first injection, then we may have to drop back and reconsider our plans for treatment. Sure. And just sure. doesn't mean don't continue the plan. It just means drop back, do more reassessment rather than just sticking to the initial protocol. Sure. And I guess, so here's one of the reasons why I'm really happy that you're going through all these treatment options is it's certainly very conceivable that I could go to any reputable vendor, any vendor anywhere and buy a dog, um, have the dog, you know, take him to the vet, have the, the paperwork from the dog, wherever he came from, take him to the vet, get all the blood work done. Everything looks good. Run this dog through all the training, whatever, uh, you know, he's going to do whether patrol or whatever. And then when, you know, three or four months after training, if I train him for four months, three months after training, all of a sudden the dog's got heartworm. So I think what you're all, you know, explaining all these options will help a handler if you're unfortunate enough to be in that situation to start making some decisions because a lot of the vendors will give like a one-year health guarantee. So Mm -hmm. is that a dog that you want to return or if the dog's dynamite, you know, do you want to put up with basically, it sounds like eight to 12 weeks of, of restricted exercise with overall a pretty good chance of at least killing the heartworms and then long term do most of the dogs recover to basically to what you know their their full potential so this goes back to at what point we're catching the infection so if you're ca- if the infection is identified before we have significant damage to the heart and lungs some of that if we have some changes there over time, body will remodel some of that and we can get back to normal. If we have very severe disease, it we might not be able to get back to normal. In your dog, for example, in the male, that pointer who has an infection but doesn't have clinical signs, probably, you know, I would expect that overall his outlook is really good. And okay. in the in the female, depending on why she's having those clinical signs, maybe we would worry more about are we going to be able to get back to normal. But I think this is something where, again, as you said, you want to find it as early as possible before you get those permanent changes, and then the outlook is quite good that okay. you know these dogs go on and and do quite well. Again, going back to some of the other treatment options, if we're looking at a dog that actually has heartworm, and we're trying to clear that infection, ideally we use the arsenic compound in a three-injection plan to clear the infection. And at the same time, we keep them on the preventative. We make sure that they've been covered with, with the doxycycline antibiotic initially. In the dogs that we do our assessment and they are maybe too sick to safely treat, and I run into this a lot in the dogs that we're working with from shelters where there really isn't the finance to treat all of these dogs with the arsenic compound. There is an alternative that has been investigated and has some effectiveness, and that's called the moxidoxy approach or the moxidoxy protocol. Mm-hmm. So the moxy is the moxidectin. That's the preventative. That's in the injection uh, that's available as a preventative. It's in, in some of the other formulations, either 
an oral medication or the topical medications that are available. And the doxycycline is the antibiotic. What we're doing there is preventing new infections from coming on board. So we're decreasing the worm burden or the future worm burden. And those drugs also have an effect on the adult heartworms. They seem to basically impact the heartworm in a negative way. So we have unhealthy adult heartworms. Heartworms generally live for about five to seven years. So if we can do something to impact their health and shorten that period of time, we may have kind of a more slow kill approach. Okay. Uh, and that's something that can be considered. The thing about that is that worries me about that approach is that that idea of the moxidoxy um, protocol kind of got into everybody's head about, well, you know, we don't really need to be doing this very expensive treatment. We can just do the moxidoxy protocol. The problem is it generally is going to take a year or so to start getting on top of that infection. And all the while, that damage to the vessels in the lungs is still ongoing and the changes that the heart would be undergoing would still be occurring. So it is not the recommended approach. Okay. It's a salvage approach. It's like we, we either we don't have the finance to do this other approach or the, the dog is just not healthy enough to safely treat okay. the way we would ideally treat. We might consider that, but it certainly would not be a good option for a dog intended to be a working dog. Okay. And I know the prices vary across the country, but with the preferred method of that you described, we're talking several thousand dollars, correct, for the treatment? It varies so widely, it's hard to give an estimate. Sure. I think the last time I got an estimate around here, it was around $1,800 for okay. the medication and administration. I've heard other people in other areas with 700 and somewhere else it's 3000 So I think it's sure. just really... And I think what's also hard is it's not always clear is, are you talking about the two injection or the three injection protocol? Yeah. And I guess I would just tell my listeners that if you're in that situation, reach out, you know, if you've only had the dog for a while, reach out to your vendor and try and work with them too. You know, if you want to keep the dog, um, a lot of these vendors maybe will, will try and work something out with you where they can, you know, try and still salvage the, the working life of the dog and maybe, you know, do something. I'm not a vendor, so I'm not going to speak for them, but Good vendors will, will try and help you out in some way with the bills or, or give you credit for another dog, something. So you always work with your vendor. Uh, the last part of this uh, conversation that I wanted to touch base with, and you and I talked before we started the show, is just the medicines are out there. And so I've been doing this for you know a long time, 25 years. And I've always done the once a month tablets of different brands, but it's always been that. Given all of my working dogs those, and when I talk to handlers that have, you know, for being honest, over all of the years and all the different dogs I've had, most of the time I'm pretty good. I always have a mark on a calendar where I need to give them their their heartworm. But like everybody, if you're being honest, you're going to admit that there's been times where I've been two weeks, even three weeks out of date um, with the the heartworm, and it's like, oh god, I got to give it to them right away. And then it's like, now do I give another one in a week, or do I start again in a month? And that. It's not the hugest burden in the world, but the once a month thing is a little bit of a problem. And when I went to pick up uh, a pet from the vet, the vet said, hey, we just gave this dog a yearly heartworm shot. 
I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about it. Talked to a lot of other handlers and said, did you know there's a yearly heartworm shot? It's not, at least in my area, with the handlers that I've dealt with, and they go to all different vets. Most of the vets here are not giving our working dogs the yearly heartworm shot, which seems a lot easier for me. When I went back to my vet and I asked about it, they gave the dog, the, both my dogs, gave them the yearly shot. Um, but I didn't get, really get a straight answer like, why haven't you been doing this? Why did you always give me you know, boxes for each of my working dogs? So can we just talk a little bit about, is there a difference in the monthly medicine, the, the tablets, the topical, and the yearly? And is there pros and cons to any of those? Our options on prevention would be once a month pills or oral medication, once a month topical medications, or then there are two different inject it's the same medication, two different dosages of injection that one lasts six months and one is meant to last 12 months. So when we look over all of these products, the bar is actually set quite high as far as licensing heartworm preventatives. They have to be they are all really, really effective in preventing infection with heartworm in most scenarios. When it comes to dogs on preventative getting infected, show, coming up positive, even though they've been on preventative, it usually is some problem with administration. It's not the medication. It's as you said, it just, you know, you miss a few days and unfortunately mm -hmm. a few days can make a big difference. And while those medications will retain a lot of ability to keep that that L3, the stage that the mosquito injects into the dog, that effectiveness lasts longer than the later stages. So the the L3 is what the mosquito injects. The L4 is the next stage, and we might see some protection against that stage before it starts to develop a little bit more, but as that parasite gets older and more developed, it becomes, it gets into this window where it's not really susceptible. Okay. And that's especially the risk if we're, if we're having delayed doses, but it may not even be us, right? I mean, I've had circumstances where one of my dogs decides I'm not going to eat the chewable and drops it, and I have to dive to keep the other dog from getting a double yeah, dose yeah. or something. So <laughs> we, we have individual dogs that might have some GI tract differences where they don't absorb the drug as well. Sure. So there can be all kinds of different reasons for those medications to not work in an individual dog. Because compliance, which is the ability of ensuring that that medication gets into the dog when it needs to, that's the biggest shortfall when we have dogs getting infections, even though they're on preventative, then things like the longer acting injectable forms become attractive because sure. the, the pills and the topical liquids have to be given every month. If we can cover them for a whole year without having to remember, that really helps with a compliance issue. I think 
we have all veterinarians. I'm. I don't. I guess I shouldn't speak for all veterinarians, but I would assume that others are like me. We are most comfortable with the medications with which we have the most experience, and these sure. monthly medications we've had those available for long periods of time. We have not had the injectable form for as long a period of time to have experience with it. And I think also there are other things that influence our choice as far as what medication to use. So some people really prefer to give one tablet. I want to give one tablet for heartworm and flea and tick. Uh, And so we're tailoring the choice of the preventative to the individual situation for that dog and for that owner or handler. Um, The injectable form of heartworm preventative is a drug called moxidectin. It's also available in oral form. Ivermectin and milvomycin are, are the other main forms that we have available as preventatives that are given on a monthly basis. Where the, where the moxidectin looks like it's having an advantage is in those, those very infrequent situations where we're actually dealing with resistant strains of heartworms. And those generally are originating along the Mississippi, so that from the southeast Mississippi okay. River regions. So for most of us, those are not really going to be the issue. So okay. from the standpoint of compliance, and this is something that's once or twice a year, and also perhaps giving us an advantage in case there's a, a resistant strain, there's some advantage to that. Okay. We don't have as much experience to say, well, how many dogs actually have uh, some sort of side effect from this medication? And there, um, initially, those injectable forms were taken off the market because of some concerns about more of an allergic-type response after the injections were given that were reported. Uh, again, we don't have mm-hmm. data from studies of those drugs that really show that there were a lot of those sorts of side effects. But I think that's always in the back of our mind as sure, far as sure. using those medications. And from what I, what I understand, while they were taken off the drug in the U.S., they were used, I believe it was in Australia for the whole period right. of time? Yes. So, so other countries were still using that and with apparent good safety. So for my Australia listeners, thanks for being guinea pigs for our dogs up here. So I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I appreciate uh, everything coming on here today. I know you've been really busy and I think we've really uh, covered heartworm real well. And I didn't know what I didn't know until uh, I started dealing with it. And that's why, you know, I appreciate you taking the time today to kind of explain in depth. And hopefully this is just a good topic to maybe put in the back of your mind. But uh, some of the listeners maybe at some point are going to have to deal with some, uh, a dog or dog their trainer or something that has heartworm and I think this is going to give them a, a lot of good information of, about where to start when you're when you're dealing with these issues and and as well as how important the preventative medicine is and uh, you know I, I just learned just when you said it that you know I thought if I missed a, a week or so it wasn't a big deal it just kind of carried over but that's not the case so if you're doing the monthly uh, dose don't miss a, a week or two weeks or whatever this is this uh, heartworm is nothing to mess around with, and it seems to be getting more prevalent, you know, around different areas because it, it was something that we never saw in Colorado, and now we're seeing it pop up here and there. So do you have anything else to add on that, or we kind of covered everything you want to? 
Well, I think along those lines, we are seeing that it is becoming present in more areas. So we, we see an expanding territory for heartworm infection. And again, we can see it really anywhere. One of the things that I run into commonly, um, especially with rescue, the shelter rescue dogs, I, I guess is where I hear it the most, people talking about giving heartworm preventative, well, I'm going to give it for six months or I'm going to give it for five months. And if if the temperature is above 40, that's yeah. when I need to start worrying. And, and I think that when we when we have studies in laboratories where situations are controlled and we can see those time frames making some sense but honestly weather patterns have changed dramatically i know for us in illinois we used to have pretty good winters and uh you know now we've had very warm november and december so those those previous recommendations for you know, six to eight months sure. of preventative and then stop for the colder months. I don't think they really apply very well anymore if they ever did. And I think the other thing is we know that even if in general it's cold, we know in in residential areas, in cities, anywhere where there's been development, that there are little pockets of higher temperature areas yeah. where mosquitoes can breed. So I think it's really important that we all consider heartworm to really be a year-round concern, certainly more so in some parts of the country than others. But I, the general recommendations now are to go year-round with heartworm preventative regardless of the region in, in which the dog is living. Okay, that's a great point, and I appreciate you adding that in. Well, doctor, again, uh, thanks, for, thanks for jumping in here. I know you're, you're busy, and I think it's been great information. I have a few other topics that I've written down that I'm going to be pestering you about here okay. in the coming coming uh, shows because uh, I just I, I like your your wealth of knowledge plus the fact that you've been around working dogs. Uh, I think the combination is is very good for our listeners. So, thanks for everything. Thanks for what you do, and thanks for uh, the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. 